0: Welcome to UbiNomics, the podcast where we explore universal basic income in today's ever-changing world. Thank you so much for listening to our first ever podcast. My name is Fena Milbauer, and I'm joined today by my two co-hosts,
1: Noah Edemann
2: and Saeed so Tuhami.
0: Thanks, guys, for being here. It's super exciting. Yeah, thank you. So how is everyone doing?
1: Yeah, I'm doing great. I'm really excited to start this journey with you guys and see where it gets us. The weather is a little bit less, I would say, but I mean, that's the perfect weather to listen to a podcast, right?
2: Yeah, for me also, I'm excited. I'm a very talkative person, as you may know, and the listeners will also maybe uh, get to know that. So especially if it's regarding a subject that I've researched, we are busy with the subject for over two months now, so I'm looking forward to start this.
0: Yeah, same here. It's been a a journey for all of us, I think, and our entire group is just very excited for this to be released to the world. to talk a little bit about what this podcast is, and I assume that some of our listeners have already uh, listened to our prologue episode. If not, I highly recommend that you do. We speak to our project manager, we go a little bit more in depth about what this project is. Within that, we talk about how we are a group of second-year international public management students based in The Hague. Although many of us at the moment, because of the corona crisis, are living all over the country and all over the world, but we decided to create this project to explore the concept of Universal Basic Income, or UBI. Uh, We have an Instagram page, a Facebook, and a website along with this podcast that you can all check out under the name Ubinomics. But I wanted to ask my co-hosts, what is our podcast really about? What are we actually exploring uh, during this podcast series?
1: During each episode, we will explore a new European country, looking at the situation regarding UBI and the state of the economy today. After diving into the history, the economy, and the political situation of the country, an interview will take place with an expert living in the country itself, who will share their unique experience and their views on UBI.
2: Currently, our society is experiencing many changes due to the 4th Industrial Revolution, increasing automation and of course, the Corona crisis. Should UBI be part of this change? And what are the alternatives? We strive to create a dialogue around the current economic system and UBI, including several viewpoints that could help us to better understand the societal issues involved. Sharing knowledge, new ideas and experiences so that we, together, can confront the challenges of the future. Although we will often talk about the pros of implementing UBI, we represent a diverse group of students who each have their own views on the concept. But like the rest of our generation, we are open to creating a discussion around UBI, exploring the possibility through the lens of different countries. During today's episode, we are going to look at the country of the Netherlands, where this podcast team is also based. There will be an interview with our special guest, Alexander Derow. But first, Noah will give you a better picture of the Netherlands.
1: give you a little bit more background on the countries that we are discussing. Every episode will start off with a country profile. Today's episode discusses the country of origin of this podcast, the Netherlands. The Netherlands is a low-lying country in Western Europe, with around a quarter of its territory at below sea level. The capital, and also the largest city of the Netherlands, is Amsterdam, while the seat of the government is in The Hague, Den Haag in Dutch, which is also the official language of the Netherlands. When looking at politics, the Netherlands is often seen as a politically progressed nation. We will explore the current state of politics surrounding UBI a bit later. There is actually quite a long history surrounding UBI discussions in the Netherlands. Since the 70s, there has been an ongoing discussion on the implementation of UBI and this was further developed during the financial crisis in the 1980s. But when discussions surrounding UBI came into full force, politicians and civil society argued that the implementation of UBI could help combat poverty and unemployment. But in the end, UBI was not implemented and the conversation seemed to disappear. Let's look at the economy of the Netherlands. According to the international organization Focus Economics, the current economical situation regarding growth in the Netherlands is stable supported by solid domestic and external demand. But of course, economic growth is expected to slow this year because of the global backdrop surrounding Brexit uncertainty and the coronavirus outbreak. Now, the real question is, of course, if basic income were to be implemented in the Netherlands, how would we pay for it? By implementing a basic income, all forms of dividends, benefits, scholarships and deductions would be cancelled, and this money could then be used to fund the basic income. Unfortunately... The economic consequences are not known yet, and therefore the organization FMV welfare recipients suggests experimenting with different variants of basic income so that we can seek the right and most beneficial way. According to the Dutch organization CPB, which translates into Centraal Planbureau, a recession as a result of the coronavirus outbreak is unavoidable. The organization created four different scenarios in which they could predict what would actually happen. So, in three of the four scenarios, the economic situation after the corona crisis is worse than the credit crisis we had 12 years ago. One worst case scenario for the current crisis is that there will be an economic decrease of 7.7 percent and this would hopefully mean that the economy would bounce back in a year. Now another factor that would influence the situation in the Netherlands is that the economy abroad could even be hit harder by the corona crisis which would then affect the Dutch businesses heavily as this would result in low export rates and less accessibility to raw materials and Components. One of the best case scenarios, however, is that the economy shrinks with only 1.2%, and from this the economy can bounce back from that during the same year. As mentioned before, UBI has been seen as a solution to multiple crises that have taken place in the Netherlands. And if the worst case scenario were actually to become reality, UBI could potentially be a solution to the economic hardship that all citizens of the Netherlands would face after the current crisis. Now, we have looked at the past, But one visible difference today is that this time not only the citizens are looking to basic income as a solution, but also political parties deem UBI to be a solution. Our economic system has changed over the years and so have our political parties and their stance on UBI. So if we were to compare the implementation of UBI in the 80s to the implementation of UBI during this day and age, it might be seen as a more realistic alternative. One factor that impacts this is that more people are informed on the subject and the resistance of political parties against basic income is decreasing. According to the research conducted by the Association of Basic Income, the number of parties opposing UBI has become less. While in 2016 this was 45%, Last year, this was only 37%. And because of this slow shift of the major Dutch political parties towards a variation of UBI, the concept is becoming more tangible in the upcoming 50 years. And not only are political parties changing their views regarding UBI, there is even a political party that is dedicated to implementing universal basic income in the Netherlands the Basic Income Party. Nevertheless, there continue to be questions surrounding what the implementation of UBI could actually look like in the Netherlands. And of course, we're hoping that by means of this podcast, we can create a better understanding of the concept and everything that comes into play. To provide some clarity and help us see what UBI in the Netherlands could actually look like, we invited Dutch expert Alexander De Roe to the show.
0: We are joined today by Alexander de Roo. He is a former politician for the Dutch party GroenLinks, which he represents as a member of the European Parliament from 1999 to 2004, and he currently serves as a chairman of the Dutch branch of Basic Income Organization, which advocates for UBI here in the Netherlands. Thank you so much for joining us today. hi I know that you are extremely passionate and knowledgeable about universal basic income, which brings me to my first question. How would you explain UBI to someone who has never heard of it before?
3: Well, in Holland, it's very easy because all the old age people, they get a pension from the state called AOV. So you simply say to a person who has never heard from UBI in Holland, it's the AOV for everybody from 18 years upwards. And then people understand within a minute.
0: And in the first part of our podcast, we have a country profile, and our listeners have heard a little bit about the conversations regarding UBI, which occurred in the 80s here in the Netherlands. You've also mentioned before that this was around the time when you were first introduced to the concept. What was it about UBI, about the UBI movement that captured your attention for such a long time, given the fact that you're such a vocal advocate today?
3: Well, we had a big discussion and a fierce discussion in the 80s in the Netherlands. We had 12, 30% unemployment. Many young people were unemployed. I was also unemployed for three years on the dole before mm. I got a job. So I know what it is. And that led to a discussion that the people who were unemployed said, well, if the system can't provide us with a job, the system should provide us with an income, a patient <clears> income. And the other side, basically inspired by the Christian and the Bible said, no, 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 you have to work in order to get an income. And it says in the Bible, you have to work with the sweat on the land, etc., in order to, to get your agricultural products in. And it was a very, very nasty discussion. But it led to debates in political parties. GroenLinks adopted a partly basic income. The Social Democrats had a conference and then 40% of the conference said, yes, we should go for a basic income. It was even discussed on cabinet level in the government of Koch. And then the finance minister from the right-wing liberals, he said, I'm in favor. And the economic ministers from the left-wing liberals said he was in favor too, though a little bit less enthusiastic. The former one was called Weyers, he is from the left-wing liberals, and Gerrit Salmos from the right-wing liberals. And then uh, Melkert from the Social Democrats, he was very against, it was too expensive, we shouldn't do it. And then Koch ended the discussion, said, well, we should discuss it further, and maybe in 30 years it's time for a basic income. <laughs> and Koch was then the Prime Minister of Holland in those days. And then after that, the economy went better, and then it dropped a bit from the discussion, from the public discussion. We as a small group still went on, and we had our meetings, and we kept on discussing, but the big public was no longer interested. And there was a guy, Luke Groth. he wrote his PhD on basic income. He said, look, it looks like basic income and unemployment are related. If there is a high unemployment, there is a big interest. If there is low in, low unemployment, there is no interest. Well, the interesting thing is the last five years, well, at least up until the Corona crisis, there was not such a thing as a high unemployment. It was very low unemployment in Holland, in the U.S., everywhere, and there was still a big interest in basic income. So mm-hmm. apparently, that thesis is no longer valid.
0: And for yourself, what what it attracted you to the concept of UBI?
3: Yeah, well, we had a big discussion then about working time reduction. Mm -hmm. The idea was 25 hour working week for everybody. And that would be able that men and wife could do paid and unpaid job and more equally, etc. So and then I started to work for the Greens in European Parliament for Social Affairs in 1985. And it was decided that we should make an own initiative report for the Greens on basic income, mm. and uh, so we did. So I had to write a report about basic income, and uh, and it was uh, debated and passed in Parliament just as a recommendation. And so it's not it was not a law proposal. And um, so I was I became very interested in basic income and. Philip van Parijs asked me to come to a conference he organized in September 1986 in Louvain-la-Neuve, in the French-speaking part of Belgium. And there we had the first conference on basic income. There were about 50 people all over Europe. And at the end of the conference, we were sitting on a table in the sun, and I was there with Philip and Guy Standing and Walter van Trier, he was a Flemish guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, Edwin Morley Fletcher, Italian, he worked for the Italian trade union at that time. And then Philip said, uh, well, uh, let's make a committee. And Alexander, would you like to become the treasurer? So I said, yes. So I was treasurer for 20 years until 2004. And it, we had every two, we- two years a big conference, but it was only academic people. But it was interesting. Very few politicians, mainly academics. And in 2004, we were in South Africa, the first time outside Europe. So then there was a Brazilian guy, Eduardo Suplicy, who managed to get it in the constitution of Brazil, basic income. He said, look, we are now in South Africa, so basic income, European network is no longer adequate. We should have a new name. And then the name became Basic Income Earth Network. And now we have 35 branches, I'm then the chair of the Dutch branch, but we have branches all over in all the five continents.
0: Wow. And because you are the chair of the Dutch branch, um, could you explain why UBI would be realistic to be implemented here in the Netherlands?
3: Well, you see that for well, we exist now as a branch for 30 years. Next year is our 30th anniversary. Mm. For the well, the first years there was this interest, and in the 80s and the 90s, then it died away. And up until five years ago, it was hard to get the big public interested. But then you had the television things and. Uh, uh, from the VPRO and, and Panorama on Belgium, so that rose the interest in the Dutch public. Now, why was there now more interested? I think because we had the economic crisis of 2008-2015. That made people realize that the present system is not working for everybody, but also a lot of people in the middle class, middle groups, who had to sell their own house before they were able to receive benefits, social benefit bystand. And everybody knew somebody who that happened to him or her. So that, that that well, well the present system is not working, and the idea privatize everything and the market is the solution for everything. Well, that was starting to be questioned. And then we have these affairs in Holland. We We have a lot of income-dependent supplements, to in Dutch. And there have an enormous amount of people who unjustified were denied this money and then they went to court and they got it back and, it was, and they were crying and it was all over the news. So now the political parties have said we should stop this system and there should come a new system. And that was a unanimous vote in the National Chamber. So that is important. And, um, but of course what this new system should look like that's still up for debate and then came the corona crisis and while in the US it was millions of people falling out of the system but in Holland it's hundreds thousand of thousands of people especially said but also so people who are self-employed but also flex workers who from one day to the next had no income at all and okay, the government made a new system, temporary, which is a kind of basic income for those self-employed, because they get money, and it doesn't matter whether they own a house or not, or whether they have a partner who has still income, they will receive this money, 1,050 euros for if you're alone, and 1,500 if you live together. So even the right-wing parties like the right-wing liberals, the they call this a kind of basic income, and we did the same. So that aroused new extra interest in basic income. Making basic income is a better system than the present system. Mm. And What we try to say, look, it's no longer a nice ideal. It's now become a necessity because we have 2 million people who are flex workers in the Netherlands, 1 million who are self-employed, so that's 3 million. Then we have 2, p- 2 million people in all kind of benefits, and we have 5 million people who have a steady fixed contract. Mm-hmm. And the whole system only works for those 5 million people with a fixed contract, so only for half the population. And for the other half, the present system is not really interested So that explains why there is now more support and growing support for basic income.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. Last year, we asked one of the opinion pollers to make a poll about what Holland thinks, and then it was 38% in favor, 37% against, so almost equal, and 25%, well, maybe, maybe not, they were somewhere in the middle. And we have now asked them to do it again and half of May we will know the result and we hope, of course, that there now will be a clearer majority because 38 against 37 is not a clear majority.
0: And how do you think that um, we could frame UBI in a way that is appealing to that part of the population who may be traditionally opposed or doesn't have a clear understanding of? The benefits well,
3: of you. What we're saying, for for instance, against the Christian Democrats, is say, let's call it a participation income. So it's not 100% unconditional. It's conditional whether you look for a job or whether you do voluntary work. If you con- If you fulfill one of those two criteria, then you can get your participation income. So that will help for the people who are opposed for, well, you have to do something back for society, that mm-hmm. kind of people. Um, yeah, that, that's the main thing. Mm-hmm. And the other argument is, look, we have, we have been working on it to do the finances, and after three, four years, we came out, well, basic income is hardly more expensive than the present system, mm-hmm. because that's the other big counter argument. Oh, it's too expensive. Like Melkert said already 30 years ago, oh, it's too expensive. Well, it turns out it's not more, it's hardly more expensive. It's maybe 10 billion more expensive. That's uh, 1% of GDP, 1% of GDP. Mm-hmm. So if there is a political will, we can easily do it. Like, for instance, now, just in three weeks, the government has spent 82 billion. With that amount, we can finance basic income for the next 10 years for everybody. And we have similar arguments, like in Ireland. The banks were bailed out in Ireland a couple of years ago. With that amount, they could have paid all the Irish 20 years of basic income. So mm-hmm. we try to make it relative. Okay, it's a little bit more expensive, but you get a better system. You get a new social contract. Uh, people can do what what they think is interesting what they're good at. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of people who have a fixed job but they are bored in their fixed job because they're overqualified. Mm-hmm. And if they have a basic income they would start their own company which is good for them and which is good for the society. Mm-hmm. You should not forget that qualification of the Dutch population is rising. In 1990 mm-hmm. 25% at either um, higher vo- vocational training or university. Now it's more than 40% who has university or higher vocational training, HBO. And uh, well, a lot of time they have a job, okay, but they're bored, the so-called bullshit jobs. They would love to do something else. But yeah, they have to pay the mortgage or the rent. So they're, they're running like rats in the old system but they would like to do something else. So that's another way of, of appealing to those people. And Another thing you have, which has changed to compared to 30 years ago, that now people come, okay, I have a, I'm in favor of basic income, and I have a, a good job, so it's not really important for me. But I would still like to know what would it mean exactly for my financial situation. Mm-hmm. So it has become a very pragmatic discussion
2: no yeah. longer
3: no longer a, a ideological battle so to say
0: one of the things that you mentioned before is that there are a lot of people who oppose ubi and they have an argument that we have to have a dramatic shift in our current economic and tax system and to what extent do, you, do we need to adjust our whole system in order to make ubi render at its best
3: Yeah, we have to change the tax system, Mm -hmm. absolutely, and the social system, of course. Mm -hmm. Because since 2005, we have more and more of this income-dependent social benefits. And that has to change. And that is 12 billion in straight subsidies, Mm -hmm. but it's also 58 billion in indirect subsidies in the tax system for persons. Mm-hmm. So that is together already 70 billion euros, and you have the tax benefit if you have your own house, which is also 10 billions, and you can save a lot on the on the administration, and you can save a lot of the existing social expenditure. And if you if you add it up, then it then it then people say, look, it's feasible. That's true, yeah. <laughs> but you, but it's a lot of change, and we don't say it has to change overnight. We can take time to start introducing, and what we're trying now to achieve is that the Greens and the left-wing liberals will put it in their party program, mm-hmm. and we have a good informal contact with the right-wing liberals. They will not put basic income in their program because their voters are against, but they will call it... A refundable tax credit. I'd care about a mm. Well, that sounds innocent, but it's in principle the same. And that's a way to come around that, that this whole basic income is become also kind of a taboo, especially on the right-wing political sphere.
0: You mentioned a bit during this conversation about the corona crisis that we are currently in. And I wanted to ask, do you think that this is the time where UBI will be seriously considered? And do you think that economic and social changes that are coming from the corona crisis will allow us to get a step ahead of where we got in the 80s?
3: Yeah, well, it's difficult to predict the future. <laughs> of but course. there is certainly more interest. And you see a couple of countries which already have have an old age pension system like the Netherlands, like Belgium, like Scandinavia, like Canada, and that's basically all the countries in the world who have a basic pension for everybody. In those countries, I think it's feasible to introduce maybe a partly basic income. Mm-hmm. So what we could say in Holland, okay, even if the Greens and the left-wing liberals say we want it, but if the Social Democrats and the Christian Democrats are still against, then it's difficult to get it through. But you could end up with a system like, okay, we take away all those income-dependent subsidies and tax credits, which create a lot of problem on the labor market, and we give everybody 600 euros. That's not enough to live from, but if you gather, you have 200, you have 1200, and if four students are together, they have 2400, and they can rent a an house and do their studies without a problem. So it will start to change the society without completely having a new system in place, but you will see the effects of the new system, and that—that that is what we trying to achieve after the next election, which is in March next year. Mm
0: -hmm. To trampoline off of what you were just talking about, and this is my concluding question, how do you see a post-UBI world in the Netherlands? We've already touched on this a bit, um, but what changes in society would UBI bring around, and how would it change people's lives?
3: Well, people have more choice. They have the choice to work a lot, a little bit, or not at all. There are very few people who wants to work or wants to do nothing for a long time. We have seen the 16 experiments worldwide and what you can observe there is that young people study longer, not so easily become working youth. That's good Mm -hmm. for them and that's good for the society. And the other group which is using the UBI is people with very young children. They want to be with their young children when they're very young, when they're babies. Of course, that effect you will have in Holland because our parental leave is very short. In a country like Finland, where you have three years parental leave, you will not see that effect. But that will be an effect. And you will see in effect that people who work five days a week say, okay, now I will work four days and one day in the week I will look for my sick mother or something. And other people who have a bullshit job say, I will quit my job and I will start a new company or I will do it with a couple of friends. People who are unemployed or long term unemployed, they will start to do small jobs because they will still get 50% of the extra earning. If they work now, a sm- a small jobs, they earn nothing extra. They, all the money they earn goes away. So financially, it makes no sense for them to work. And the other f- fact you will see is that people who do hard job, very demanding jobs, like in the care system, mm-hmm they will slightly reduce the the willingness to work. And that means we have to pay those care workers, mainly women, more in order for them to be still willing to do it. And I think they should. (laughs) That's a good effect for them, but also for society. And uh, it's difficult to predict exactly what happens because no country has ever done it 100%. Although there is a tribe, the Shirioka Indians in, in the United States, they have allowed a casino in their reservoir, and with the profit of that casino, all the Indians get five hundred or a thousand dollars every month, and that's going on already for twenty three years. So the researchers have been able to see what does this long-term experiment do with the society. And one of the things they acknowledge is that the IQ of the children, of the poor children was increasing simply because their parents no longer have these financial worries. So one of the good things is, and one of the things why I already started to be, Leave in basic income in the first place 35 years ago, it will enhance creativity. It will enhance a different kind of society which is more relaxed. And that was the argument also in Switzerland when they had the referendum. They said, look, Switzerland is a rich country. We're not going to say, oh, we have come to help the poor in Switzerland. There are not that many poor people in Switzerland. No, the biggest change is creativity, uh, less stress, and a better health. And I think we should go for that type of society.
0: Thank you so much for talking to us today.
3: You're welcome.
0: <laughs> you just heard an interview with Alexander Zereau. I am joined once again by my two co-hosts, Saïd and Noah, and I wanted to ask you both to join me in reflecting on what we've just heard. Um, and I wanted to ask you what aspect of the interview made you think the most. Noah, do you think you could start?
1: Yeah, so I think overall it was really a memorable interview like the way he was so enthusiastic and you could really tell that he's very knowledgeable on the subject but uh one of the things that really stuck by me uh, i think was the way that he anticipated on the people who were like opposed to ubi by presenting it as a participation income because i think a lot of people also in the netherlands have maybe like this incorrect view on ubi you know that will cause people to become reluctant to work or maybe even cause the society as a whole to become idle and um The way he framed it as a participation income really showed that there are so many ways to do this and that it can actually like, you know, result in the opposite in a way because it gives people a freedom of choice with like spending the time how they want to spend it. And I think that is also something that we are doing with the Rethinking Economics as a whole. It's like that we are not only thinking about GDP right now and the money that is made in a country, but really also looking at the overall happiness in a country. And I think the way he framed it really showed that that is a very big part that maybe people might be overlooking.
0: How about you, say it?
2: For me, it was actually nice to hear this conversation. And of course, Alexander is somebody with years of experience in the political field, in the public field, on a national and also on a European level. So I, I've listened with a lot of interest. The thing that caught me is there are multiple things, but especially the fact that he says there there is maybe a chance due to some circumstances that we are living in or experiencing today. So For instance, the the Corona crisis and UBI is not only an ideal anymore, could be a necessity for some people. So that is uh, something that really caught me. What about you, uh, Fena? Maybe if you could tell us because you have uh, conducted the interview.
0: Yeah, so I mean, it was a really inspiring interview to hear. And you can really tell when you're talking to him that he's incredibly knowledgeable about what he's talking about. I mean, you know, facts were kind of flowing off the tip of his tongue which was was really amazing and I think like for me I really felt the same way as Noah felt that I like the fact that he understood that there are still people who are opposed and was also kind of taking that into consideration and you know he wasn't framing it as something that people you know should know about or should be on board with and that he understood that maybe for some people you need to frame it in a different way to make them understand what the benefits of UBI could be and I I think, like that entire aspect of societal change, that for me was something that was interesting to reflect on, especially given the circumstances of our economy and of our world. So,
2: could you also maybe how this could maybe impact the Dutch uh, society we are living in? Because he also touched upon a few things. Maybe people will leave their jobs or leave their commitments that were only pragmatic and ideals they left behind because they have to pay the rent or they won't do anything with their passions. How are you thinking about this?
1: So yeah, I already thought about this, even with the current crisis going on, like a lot of people have in a, of course, a weird way, but like more free time on our hands. And I see a lot of change in the people surrounding me already, Um, because it's not only about making money at this moment. And of course, we're in a crisis and it's a very different situation. But you can see in a way that if people like feel like they have time for other things, they will also use it in a very different way. And for myself, like certain things I wouldn't think of like about certain passions or because I wouldn't think I have time for that or that it wouldn't make me enough money to make a living and once you have something like UBI that gives you that freedom you can also explore like a different side of yourself I believe.
0: Yeah, I, no, I agree with that. And I think one of the interesting things that you kind of see within the UBI debate is that on one side, people tend to have this argument that if you implement UBI, people won't want to work anymore, because they'll just be getting free money. And I think that's very interesting to also highlight the fact that this money will not only cover kind of basic needs, or for most people, you know, the amount of money won't be able to cover all of your basic needs, but it will kind of give you a sort of cushion to fall back on. And the fact that it would also kind of spark more creativity, I think it, it kind of shows the mindset is, is shifting. And it's something that Alexander also commented about, that we're, we're not really living in the same type of world, and that our economy and our society are really changing. And I think that it's also interesting that we're having more of a conversation about if UBI can fit into the world, that the world that is changing is UBI, one of those things that is going to come along with the change.
2: Well, I'm just curious because if I would look back at the things that were already discussed during this episode in the country profile, and in the interview, you will find that, of course, UBI has a lot of economic effects or influences. Indeed, I think that's also important to mention because would it be realistic? Could you actually do this and implement this on maybe a national uh, level? Would it be responsible to implement it and social influences coming because of uh, UBI or uh, another form of basic income, can be very significant and can also increase some of the things that, due to our current economic system, have been not looked at too much, like our mental health, our addictions. So it could have also some influences on that. So And I have read some papers and some uh, experiments that were done in the UK, for instance, that actually show how People who were addicted or had mental health issues that also depended on a lot of government funded institutions and social workers that when they got a basic income, this would shift. So, yeah, there's a lot to say about it.
0: (laughs) I mean, I think that it's really interesting to kind of reflect on that aspect that it, you know, that there are a lot of societal changes that are happening and to consider if ubi is a solution for those changes i think it's very fascinating to kind of look at and also the fact that we kind of consider the circumstance and see that ubi can be something very fluid it doesn't necessarily need to be a one definition kind of solution and i think that that's what makes conversations like this so interesting but also so needed the fact that we kind of examine a UBI through the lens of a specific country and their needs and that we kind of can adapt to that.
1: We, of course, as uh, international public management students, we're so diverse and all have different backgrounds. And one of the things that I noticed about the Netherlands is that we're a very individualistic society and we're very focused on ourselves and the way we have to work hard and the way we have to make money. And if you look at other European countries or somewhere else around the world, it's about they have uh, siestas and more time for family and things like they are more focused on each other. And I think that could also be a change that comes with something like UBI of some kind, because, yeah, we're such a hardworking society, which is a good thing, but coming from like IPM now and seeing how everyone is from such a different background and learning from each other, I also see that there is a lot of societies who do it differently. And maybe this is something that is needed and able to, to be able to change that. It could also be something else, but who knows?
2: Indeed, maybe also thing that we have asked Alexander in the interview is in how far would it not be just a single action would it also bring about some radical changes in the structures that we know our tax system or financial system or the answer of Alexander was very clear actually that indeed it's not just a one issue thing it's not just one action it's about a new social contract that's the thing that's caught my interest is that how can we give an answer to the future challenges to today's challenges and the future challenges because of the fourth industrial revolution because of increasing automation the corona crisis
0: i mean you summed it up pretty well um but i think that what i liked about his answer was that he really took into account that you know these societal changes it's not something that you can force on a society but if you are to implement something like this it needs to be in line with the direction that a society is going in and i think that that's what i kind of liked about his comment because as you were saying it kind of fits into what our project is you know creating a widespread conversation about you know what what could UBI look like in a world that is changing so much
2: and, and uh, this social contract, what would it imply? Because what I've heard from the interview, other people who are talking about UBI, they said this new social contract would actually mean that people would do, first of all, what they are good at. And uh, actually, this UBI, the, this basic income will simulate to use their... Uh, capacities and that is actually a very interesting thing because we are living in a time where people are getting higher education and a lot of functions are being left to automation so to robots so higher educated people can focus on other tasks in society and it's also interesting to think like how would UBI stimulate this transition i don't have an answer of course but i'm just posing these questions because it's getting more pragmatical just as alexander De Rose says he said first it was more an ideological uh, battle uh, you know between political parties and left and right but now it's getting more a uh, pragmatical discussion between the members of society and more and more on a social level like what would it mean for me personally and financially if, if there would be kind of ubi
1: yeah, and I think that's really something that, especially this first episode, is a question that rises. And I'm very excited also to see what the next episodes will like change maybe in our ways of thinking about GBI and how we will formulate this discussion and what new things we would see that maybe we are now still overlooking.
0: I agree. I think the next few episodes are going to look through such different lenses. And I think that that, again, is so important for creating this type of discussion. I agree with Saeed. I think that I really liked the fact that Alexander said that the debate is changing. It's not necessarily about being pro or anti-UBI. It's about not necessarily what kind of UBI you want, but using that sort of as a baseline and looking at how it could fit into society. Yeah,
1: really. And also because our broader topic, of course, is the rethinking of economics. Like, what are we right now maybe overlooking in a system? And I think this interview also really stated that there's a lot of different things that we're maybe not looking at today, but it could mean a lot of different things for a society in the future.
2: Maybe something we did not yet touch upon is the specific case of the Netherlands. There are some factors that are stimulating this need for UBI. What do we need at this moment? The corona crisis right
1: now might increase the need for a thing like UBI, but right now there's so much insecurity around the economic system and what kind of uh, changes they will have on the long term, because this is so uncertain, the time we live in right now. So I'm very curious to see how that will actually work out, because right now we have no idea how long this will take, what kind of changes it will give.
0: So I I think like the thing that comes out of what you just said for me is how can we continue to have this conversation after a hard time is over or after a time is over when we are having that discussion? How do we maintain a need for discussion?
2: Thank you a lot, Fana and Noah. And uh, hopefully we'll uh, hear from each other next week.
1: Thank you all so much for listening. We really enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed it too. And until next time.
0: want to hear more of our wonderful conversation, please join us next Friday when we're going to be exploring the country of the United Kingdom and looking at uh, UBI in the UK. I wanted to thank everyone for sticking with us and I hope that it's inspired you to think a little bit deeper on UBI.